She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. My name is Dylan Pontiff. I'm actually going to be one of the drag queens reading for Drag Queen Storytime. So apparently to a lot of people in this room, I'm the big boogeyman. This investigation is a complete failure. That is why he is now focusing on these side characters to accuse them of lying or perjury because this is where we are. This is the pathetic state of Mueller's handling of this. The well-connected can do pretty much whatever they want. They can lie to the Congress with impunity, and they do. They can lobby for foreign governments without bothering to register, and they do. None of this, by the way, is a defense of Michael Cohen. That guy's a creep. He may very well wind up in jail. But if Cohen does wind up in jail, let's hope he's just the first in a long series of prosecutions. If the law is applied to Michael Cohen, then it has to be applied to people who have lied about things that actually matter. And now, Stacey Washington. Hello, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here. Just a heads up, I am the keynote speaker at tomorrow night's Illinois GOP Christmas party, and it's going to be pretty fun. I'm going to be speaking about some really fascinating, fascinating discussion. Um, I'm going to have a, quite a bit to say, which uh, you're probably thinking, what's different about that? <laughs> so I'll be there and it will be a really wonderful time. Um, I'm so glad I'm going to get the opportunity to get to speak to that group a second time. I've spoken to them once a couple of years ago, so it'll be fun. Um, this hour on the show, we're going to be really just moving through the program. It's, it's an interesting group of information that we have. We're going to discuss um, the legal accounting of Comey, Brennan and Clapper, you know, people who are getting away with lying to Congress while we're seeing Michael Cohen getting prosecuted for lying to Congress. Isn't that a huge double standard? Why does he get prosecuted and no one like no one else does? We're going to have some information on that. And um, the military's role in border security. This is important because people are acting as if the military's never been sent to the border before. Not only has the military been sent to the border before, it's been numerous times, time after time after time, that the military has been sent to the border. It is not abnormal. It is actually a part of what the military is expected to do, which is maintain the national defense. And so we'll talk about that as well. Right now, I want to delve into Tucker Carlson and the endless flawed Miller probe, exposing this huge double standard. I love it when Tucker Carlson just gets into his zone and kind of he, he settles in. He does it on a nightly basis, but sometimes it's just so good. And this is one of those times where he just settles in and he picks something apart so completely. You just, you're, you're kind of, you're just struck by it. Here he is in number four. Let's consider what we have just learned about how Washington works. Apparently, it's now an enforceable felony to lie to the U.S. Congress. On one level, that is good news. We should take our own laws seriously. Functional countries do that. Nations in decline set up sanctuary cities and ignore their own borders. Nor is it implausible that Michael Cohen might have broken this law or really any other law. Nobody who knows him is shocked by the allegation. If Cohen was accused of running a cannibalism ring, you'd have to at least take the charge seriously. Anything is possible with that guy. So three cheers for law and order. The problem is, if you're going to enforce statutes, you have to enforce them fairly and evenly. The law has to apply to everyone. Otherwise, it's not really the law. It's a political weapon. Michael Cohen is facing five years in prison for telling Congress something that he knew was false. How often does that happen in Washington? If you watch C-SPAN, you know the answer, constantly, 
all the time. There are almost never consequences, by the way. According to one study, between the Second World War and 2007, a total of only six people were convicted of lying to Congress. Six people in 60 years. In other words, the law is not enforced, and that's why people break it so often. And so it, since that's why people break it so often, you would think that either prosecutions would ramp up considerably or that they would just, just rescind the law. You can lie to Congress if you want to. The fact that Hillary Clinton's never been prosecuted for it, that Clapper, Comey, so many others have never, in fact, that's what he did next. And we're not going to listen to that. But uh, Tucker Carlson played some audio of, of, you know, James Clapper lying to Congress, knowingly lying to Congress. And he's never been prosecuted. Now, there's some kind of back channel online where some people are saying the reason we haven't seen uh, the declassification of documents is because the president's keeping them in his back pocket because if the Democrats decide to come for him with harassment of the president through investigations and subpoenas, that he will then declassify the documents and it will send everything into a tailspin. Also, that he'll be having his attorney general, acting attorney general, prosecute Clapper, Comey, Brennan for lying to Congress and other things, abuses of the FISA court, et cetera, et cetera. And that that very well may be the case. I, I, I can tell you if that's what they're going to do. But I do know this. When a nation has people in charge that refuse to equally prosecute the law, to equally to, to treat citizens equally, it creates a kind of a wind tunnel where people start to get sucked in. And, you know, Tucker Carlson just said that he didn't, he's, you know, Cohen's a jerk or what have you. I, I don't know that. I don't know that Cohen is a jerk. I don't know that he deserves prosecution for stuff he did, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. And he's only being prosecuted because he worked with the president. I I don't know that I, I buy into that. And and I'm I'm all about people being brought to justice. But it is... The same, it's even worse, actually, because he's losing his livelihood, he's losing his reputation, he's losing everything. It's really, it's extra bad to me when you see someone who's done something and they're getting away with it, as Comey, Clapper, and Brennan are doing, and so many others, Clinton, uh, everybody in the Clinton orbit, they get away with it, but other people are forced to, you know, not just pay the price, but pay the most severe of prices. That's not supposed to be how this thing works. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if the president actually comes out swinging if the because the Democrats are going to uh, they are going to move forward with investigations. They're going to call them oversight, but they are going to try to end the, the president's tenure. By the way, um, if you're wondering why I'm not covering the plea deal and how horrible it is for the president, it's because it's a, another big nothing burger. You've got Mueller. He was supposed to be the, the pit bull who could get his 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 prey. He has not been able to take down the president. And so these last gasp little, you know, indictments of Cohen and others in Trump world, they're not going to result in the president being impeached. So there really isn't much more to say beyond that. Now I want to talk about Starbucks making this. This is like I'm surprised. And it's not that I'm surprised because Starbucks doesn't kind of put paint themselves as this family friendly place. They do. In fact, when they're not blaring the loudest Rihanna CD they can find, you know, Starbucks is really actually really friendly to kids because they have 
things that kids can buy to eat while they're there and their parents are getting coffee. They also have the the smaller cups for the hot cocoa. So a kid can get a hot cocoa from there while their parents are getting coffee. Um, a lot of moms, when they're out doing their errands and what have you with their preschoolers, they the kids end up in Starbucks and they end up getting something from the menu there. And I believe that's what the that's the decision they're making. They're saying hipsters and college students and single people who want to watch pornography in their shops using their Wi-Fi are taking away opportunities for parents with kids who are much more reliable repeat customers who don't need Wi-Fi access. They're just there to buy stuff and consume Starbucks products that they're a better bet for the long term viability of the company. And it's a smart bet to make. And I'm not saying that married people don't engage in in watching pornography, but in public spaces, you're not going to find married people with reputations doing that. You're going to find single people, people who are using the Starbucks for Wi-Fi. So here's the story here. It's over at CNSnews.com. They have 28,916 Starbucks locations worldwide. 14,451 of those locations are in the United States. Now, that's some market saturation for you if you think about it. 50 states, how many major cities do we have? You have 100 major major cities. Think about how many Starbucks there are. Sometimes, like in D.C., there's actually, you can be at one Starbucks and look, like stand in front of it and look to your left and see another Starbucks on the corner. Because the blocks in D.C. are big, but they're not so big you can't see the next Starbucks. Honestly, that's, that's how many they have. They have full saturation. So... Starting in 2019, Starbucks has announced that they will provide pornography-free Wi-Fi in their U.S. stores. It's happening because of pressure over many years from a coalition led by the internet safety group Enough is Enough. They go by the acronym EIE. In an email to Business Insider, a Starbucks representative said that the company had identified a solution to block pornography in its U.S. stores, which it would implement in 2019, over two years after the coffee chain initially said it would do so, six years after it began filtering Wi-Fi in its stores in the U.K. Well, to ensure the third place remains safe and welcoming to all, we have identified a solution to prevent this content from being viewed from within our stores and we'll begin introducing it to our U.S. locations in 2019. So the third place designation refers to Starbucks policy that aims to make the coffee shop a place between work and home, where everyone is welcome, whether or not they buy anything. Starbucks' decision to block porn on Wi-Fi came a few days after EIE published a press release calling the company out for breaking its promise. They launched a petition that has already gathered more than 26,000 signatures. EIE President and CEO Donna Rice Hughes told CNSNews.com that while she's hopeful Starbucks will follow through on its pledge, its failure to do so earlier was very disappointing. She says, our response is that this is good news. It's good news that we also heard from Starbucks two and a half years ago. So this time we're going to verify that they actually do this and we will give them a big praise and applause once they have implemented the filtering and not before. In the meantime, she says that EIE will keep the pressure up on Starbucks and works towards getting all of corporate America that offers free public Wi-Fi to block pornography, including the airline industry, trains, stadiums, malls, and large restaurants. In Monday's press release, Hughes demanded that Starbucks do the right thing to keep children safe. Now, I want to just add as a caveat, you know that prison inmates can watch pornography 
And when it got cut off recently, I saw a story that they were like protesting because they want their access to pornography back. You imagine what those inmates will be like after spending years in prison watching pornography. Come on. I mean, these are no brainer type decisions that I can't believe we have to have uh, organize, organized groups to to shame these companies into doing the right thing. So EIE has been fighting to convince Starbucks and other large companies to filter their Wi-Fi since 2014 when they launched their safe Wi-Fi campaign. In response, McDonald's established filters in 2016. Chick-fil-A and Panera Bread have been filtering their Wi-Fi for years. And the campaign is backed by several conservative organizations, including Alliance Defending Freedom, Concerned Women for America, Family Research Council, and your very own, home of yours truly, American Family Association, the parent organization of American Family Radio. That's right. This is a victory for us. We got to wait and see if they do it. Now, if we can get them to block the pornography, maybe we could get them to soften up a little bit and stop punishing lawful gun owners by saying we're not allowed in the stores when we're carrying concealed. Because what they need is lawful gun owners sitting in their stores, using their clean Wi-Fi, drinking their coffee and other drinks, and sitting around just minding their own business just in case a wackadoodle shows up. Good guy with a gun, right? Well, let's hope that they take this first step. I'm willing to, uh, you know, back off a little bit on the two-way thing for a few minutes to see them do this and to give them some kudos it's hard to find a corporation that's willing to do the right thing. And of course, it took public shaming. But once they've made the decision and they actually execute on it, we should give them some credit where it's due. And, you know, it's hard with Starbucks because they're so far on the left, but they are a huge part of our culture now. And we can't ignore them. We can't act like they don't exist. Their third place stores actually have a huge cultural impact. And there's a whole culture, a Starbucks culture that is now a part of American culture. And so this, this, this activity, it's needed. And I'm, I'm happy to see them um, at least make the statement again that they're going to do it. So we'll see what actually happens. If they don't do it, we'll have to take them to task and shame them some more, won't we? But right now, we're going to go to the break. When we get back, we're going to be talking about Mueller and Comey and Brennan and Clapper, et cetera, et cetera, right after this. Every day in preborn centers across the country, young women in crisis find refuge. Here's Roxy, nurse director for Preborn at the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Southern California. A lot of them come to us and they feel rejected, they feel alone, they're in a crisis situation, they don't know what to do, they don't know where to start. We believe that sharing the compassionate love of Jesus Christ is what really makes what we do work. Through love and compassion, young women facing tough situations get to meet Jesus Christ and their unborn baby on ultrasound. And I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry. And it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds, and you'll receive a story and a picture of babies' lives that were spared. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. 
or go to preborn.com. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Does plagiarism matter to Christians? That is a question Dr. Warren Throckmorton asked in a recent column. I had him and Mary DeMuth on the Point of View radio talk show to discuss some of the problems that have surfaced in Christian publishing. In the secular world, plagiarism is a big deal. In his article, he documents cases where people have lost their jobs or received severe sanctions both in the newsroom and in the academy. And if a professor catches a student engaged in plagiarism, we know that student faces severe consequences as well. Warren Throckmorton isn't convinced that the Christian world takes the issue seriously given the response to a number of high-profile cases of Christian authors lifting material from other books and calling it their own. Sometimes there's a legal settlement, but often the issue is greeted with a yawn with no further action taken. Mary DeMuth believes that one of the reasons for this problem is the Christian celebrity culture. Big-name authors bring in lots of revenue to Christian publishers. At the same time, there is pressure for authors to produce books quickly. Interns or associates they hire to write much of the material may not be careful about what they lift from other sources, and sometimes the authors themselves are borrowing concepts from other authors without appropriate citation. Warren Throckmorton also believes that if we started demanding that authors write their own material, ghostwriters and researchers would be out of work, and fewer books would be published by these authors each year. We might expect that the Christian world would hold to a higher standard in publishing than the secular world. But the lack of response from Christians on social media about some of these cases of plagiarism suggests that we aren't holding authors to that standard. The solution, of course, is for those of us in the Christian public to hold them accountable. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Eric Holder was the first uh, district uh, attorney general to be held in contempt of Congress. Lois Lerner pled the Fifth Amendment. And we don't know what's going to happen with the Obama FBI, CIA, NSC and DOJ officials because the verdict's not out on Bruce Orr. Eight to 10 FBI officials have already been retired or reassigned or, or may be facing indictment. The saga of James Comey and John Brennan and James Clapper is not over because we're, sit, we're looking at a situation where a presidential candidate hired a foreign national to find dirt on her opponent and that dossier was seated among top officials of the Obama administration. We haven't had an accounting, ethical or legal yet, and it's coming. Welcome back to the program. That is actually Victor Davis Hanson, and he was talking about uh, the, what, what a lot of us have. It's just kind of in the back of your mind, isn't it? Do you, do you, sometimes you see the, the, the Mueller story bubble up in the news and you think, oh, interesting. Okay, so they're going to catch uh, this guy for basically intentionally deflecting the story away from the Trump Tower meeting. So this is a Trump Tower that they were going to build in Moscow. And to say that this is any different than any of the other myriad number of properties that Trump has built around the world, it just it dis- it's a display of ignorance. If you're one of those people who thinks that the president is actually an agent of the Russian government, I, I also have some uh, swamp land I want to sell you. It's right here in, in our backyard, and it's worth a million dollars. So I'm going to need you to ante up and give me a couple checks 
or some installment pay, payment pro- program, if, if, if that's you. You cannot possibly believe that Vladimir Putin turned Donald Trump and that's the reason why he's sitting in the, the presidency, taking all of this flack from liberals and having his entire uh, business empire that he's built over decades systematically taken apart, watching his children destroyed in the public media, watching the, the horrible attacks on his wife and his youngest son. You're telling me that he's doing all of that because he loves Putin? Yeah. I also have um, flying bikes and levitating rugs that I want to sell you as well, if you believe that. So what's important is that if we're going to prosecute Michael Cohen, and very well that that prosecution might be valid and legitimate, or it could be a witch hunt, we don't know, uh, then we should definitely be looking at prosecuting these others because they engaged in behavior that was completely unacceptable. And the only way to get at the root of it is to investigate them and, and see if there's anything that, that needs to be, you know, in, indicted for. Like, indict somebody. Somebody put an indictment down. So... That brings us to DeGeneva. He was talking about Mueller's narrative after not being able to prove collusion because we're very close to the end of this thing. And I, yesterday on the show, we, we had a little bit of audio about how we're going to definitely see the report before the end of the year. That's what people are saying. People who have no skin in the game and don't support the president at all are saying they think he's going to wrap it up before Congress, the new Congress comes in because they don't want it to look like Mueller doesn't want it to look like he's Uh, influencing their investigations. He wants to be done with what he has to do. And so, you know, apparently there's a lot of rumor mill going on about other people who will be indicted. And I don't place a lot of value in that until I actually see something happening. The sky is not falling. The president is in no danger of not serving out the remainder of his term as some liberals are dancing around gleefully on their cloven hooves on Twitter, just enjoying themselves. They're, they're just so excited because they think it's the end of Trump. I wouldn't call that one so quick. But DeGeneva, he has an interesting idea about how Mueller could paint this whole story to kind of save face. It's number six. The president is tweaking and trolling people and trying to get get a, you know, just get a rise out of people. That's what he does. It's part of his shtick. But the thing to me that's fascinating is all of a sudden the entire investigation by Mueller is focusing on people who are lying. That's what it's always been about. But now it's really about lying with Stone and Corsi and Flynn and everybody. Why is that happening? The answer is very simple. The original purpose of the investigation was Russian collusion. That's failed miserably. There's no evidence of it. So what is he doing now? He's charging people with lying so that he can say in his report, I would have proved collusion, but all these people lied and prevented me from doing it. This is the new narrative of Mueller. He's not, of course, mouthing it, but his actions prove conclusively that his new narrative is, if these people hadn't lied to me, I would have been able to prove collusion. This is the new Russian collusion theme now. This is what he's going to do. That's going to be what the report's going to be about. Right. <laughs> so can you can you kind of like, Imagine it. Mueller doesn't have anything of consequence to show. He can't indict the president. And so he starts saying, well, you know, this one and that one wouldn't, you know, that I wasn't able to do this because of that one. I wasn't able to do that because of this one. So, you know, basically, it's their fault that I can't get a conviction on this. It's their fault that I can't do what I want to do. 
Mind you, I have something I absolutely want to do, which is indict the president, but I can't. I can't prove collusion. So what I might as well do is I might as well just let y'all know, um, yeah, it's somebody else's fault. <laughs> so and I know, I know, you know, I'm giggling, I'm laughing, but that is what we're seeing. That's what that's what we're seeing. All right. So I'm open up the phone lines. Um, the call lines are open. 866-963-2037. A little bit of a free-for-all. If you want to call in and talk about anything, you're welcome to, including, are you going to any Christmas parties? Do you have anything planned? Um, so 866-963-2037. While we're seeing who wants to call in and join us, we have this story that I want to pull up right now and a little bit of audio. There's a mom, and she named her daughter, a, B, C, D, E. Now, me and my daughter, who I told you she was homesick and, and she's been homesick all day, I told her about this story and we were laughing about it because we were thinking to ourselves, how's that pronounced? Well, there is a little bit of audio that goes with it. And in the audio clip, she actually tells you how it's pronounced. And so I want you to listen for the moment in this audio clip where the news reporter tells you how many people in America had their parents named them A, B, C, D, E, and how you pronounce that. If you see someone sign their name, A, B, C, D, E, Jones, there's a way to pronounce it. We were totally wrong, me and my daughter. And we're, we're, we're avid readers, and we thought we, had, we, we, thought we were close, but we weren't, we're nowhere close. Um, so let's listen to that clip. A Texas mother says she's teaching her five-year-old daughter that not everyone is nice. This after she says a Southwest Airlines worker name-shamed the five-year-old girl. The family was catching a flight home from Southern California to El Paso a few weeks ago. When the gate agent saw the girl's name on her boarding pass, the mom says the worker started making fun of it. While I was sitting there, she took a picture of my boarding pass and chose to post it on social media, uh, mocking my daughter. Well, her daughter's name is spelled A-B-C-D-E and pronounced Absidy. This story has generated more than 2,000 comments on the ABC 13 Facebook page. A lot of you sounding off. One viewer wrote, it's sad that someone would make fun of a little girl with an earshot of her. It's even sadder that her mom or mother gave her such a ridiculous name. Sherry posted, no excuse for the employee, but when you give your kid a bizarre name, you do him or her a disservice. Southwest has apologized to that family and says it will follow up with the employee involved. According to the Social Security Administration, nearly 330 people have been given the name spelled A-B-C-D-E in the U.S. 30, 330. 330 people, I was about to say 33, 333 Americans have parents dumber than a bag of rocks who named them A, B, C, D, E. Now, this chick actually has, she said it's pronounced Absidy, which if she wanted to name her daughter Absidy, she could have just spelled it A, B, S, I, D, Y or A, B, C, I, D, Y. She, she could have done anything other than this. So obviously my daughter and I also went through a whole list of, of nicknames that she could use. And we thought she should just use AB and call herself Abby. And then she would have a normal name. But the little girl is not to blame here. And, and also, if you're out there in listener land, and this is not a racial thing, but if you think that it's a, um, it's a black mom, 
it's not. The mom is not black and the little girl is so cute and sweet. And it's just hard to imagine how parents are in their world. You know, other other kids, parents who interact with them, what they must go through when they call this child Absidy and she has to write her name down, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, if she's five, she's already learned her ABCs. She has to have noticed that um, ooh, she has to have noticed that her name is the beginning of the alphabet. She has to have. So this is just this is the world we live in where anything goes and and any kind of stigmatization that would occur where people naturally because so I know that you know this, but I have to state it for posterity. When people stigmatize certain behaviors, it is basically like it's like a fence or a guardrail that shows other people not to do those. Like, don't do that. And there used to be like a thing where the hospital would say, if you try to name your child something like a body part, they'd say that's not allowed. And it wasn't really a law, but it was a safety mechanism that nurses uses used to prevent people from, you know, misnaming their child because it should be there should be like a law where we have so many laws, we don't even know how many we, we have. But it seems to me like there would be some kind of a rule where if you did that to your child, there'd be some kind of repercussions for you and that your child could rename themselves if you name your child something unpronounceable or something that's unspellable or two words mashed together that you just made up. Or like this lady, she was so lazy that she just took the first few letters of the alphabet. Now, in the uh, in the chat room, people are like, it's... <laughs> So it's not actually spelled A-B-C-E-E-D-E-E. It's A-B-C-D-E, literally just the first letters of the alphabet. No, the first letter's capitalized. The rest of the letters are all lowercase. And then she pronounces it absidy. Such a shame. Such a shame for a beautiful child like that to have that, that, that name foisted upon her and for her to have to deal with it. And I, I didn't even look. I should have looked. Do they even show what the daughter's... Uh, the, the mom named the, the middle name. Like, what's the middle name of this child? I mean, it's just like, I, I don't know. I Oh, and the jokes that people have ensued. So notice in the story they said that someone from Southwest Management was going to talk to the employee. I imagine they're probably talking to her, giving her all of their own jokes and seeing what jokes she made. Because I just can't see them actually reprimanding this woman, even though it's not it's not right to make fun of people online, especially children. But what what exactly is Southwest going to do? Um, Also, other people have jokes. Her brother is one, two, three, four, five. Um, Or her brother's name is F.G.H.I.J. I I wonder how she would pronounce that. I don't know if she has um, if she has any of them, any any more children, I should say now. A little bit more detail. It's not unheard of for people to be named ABCDE. In 2014, Vocative reported that over the past 30 years, 328 baby girls have been given that name, and 32 babies were given that name in 2009. What do you think was in the water that year? But when the name is entered into the Social Security Administration's database of popular baby names, it states that ABCDE is not in the top 1,000 names for any year of birth beginning with the year 2000. Now listen to some of these other ones. Nicknames for someone named ABCDE is one of them is CC, City, S-I-D-Y, Abby, which my daughter and I came up with, Izzy, X-Y-Z-Z-I-E, AB, A-E-B-I, 
and seedy, S-E-E-D-Y. Now, where are we getting this stuff from? Because you're probably thinking, where are you getting that kind of crazy? From the babynamewizard.com website. You know it's bad when even the nicknames are bad. So Southwest has, obviously, they've apologized. And, you know, it's, it's, ooh, yeah. They have, they say they have a zero tolerance, you know. Um, but we all know that this is only the beginning. You know how kids cruel, how, how cruel kids can be. This is only the beginning of the mocking that she's going to get. If she's not in school yet, maybe the mom's planning on homeschooling her so she'll never have to worry about it. But I can tell you, there are no more opportunities for her to get away with not having that name mocked because most kids are going to think she's kidding. No, like most people are going to say, oh, that's not your real name. And then when she says it is, that's when everything's going to break loose. And there'll be some kind-hearted, compassionate kids who'll say, don't make fun. It's not her fault. Her mom and dad named her that. And that's true. It's true that we shouldn't mock her for it because it was none of her own doing. But she's the one who's going to bear the brunt of the sorrow about this. And it's her mom's fault. All right. So follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Um, We actually live stream to YouTube and Facebook every day. And um, also we, we have a live stream over at the... Uh, Periscope as well and we'd really appreciate if you'd share the show so other people can find out about it and kind of fight back against the conservative clampdown that all these organizations are doing and we did have uh, obviously Jesse Lee Kelly who's been on the program uh, Jesse Kelly he's been on the program a ton of times Uh, he's a Marine Corps combat veteran and he does a, a lot of radio and television and he was actually suspended from Twitter with no Like he didn't get not suspended. He was dumped off of the Twitter platform without so much as a warning. And when the backlash ensued, even Josh Hawley, Missouri's own Josh Hawley actually um, tweeted out about it and called for an investigation. And within a couple of days of backlash, Twitter restored his account. But other news that's even bigger than Jesse Kelly getting suspended and then reinstated is that Fox News has not tweeted from their account to their 18 million followers in a month since the whole thing broke off with their one of their stars, Tucker Carlson. Remember he was attacked at his home and the people who did the attack were allowed to maintain their Twitter feeds? So news that it had been a month since they had uh, tweeted actually caused Twitter stock to drop yesterday significantly. So the wars are on be back with more after this. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Tucker Carlson is an author, founder of the Daily Caller website, and host of a debate show on cable's Fox News Network. He is known for his brutally honest commentary on the state of politics and culture. Because of this, he has been declared the enemy of the Democrats' mob action arm, Antifa. Recently, a group of Antifa thugs calling themselves Smash Racism published Carlson's home address and filmed themselves defacing his cars and driveway while hurling themselves against his front door. The Carlson children were not at home, only his wife was. She called 911 and locked herself in the pantry. Carlson was at his office at Fox News preparing to broadcast his program. Police responded and dispersed the crowd. 
It's outrageous that not one of the assailants was arrested. This was no protest. It was criminal trespass, attempted breaking and entering, and destruction of private property. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. There are many ways you can listen to the shows of Urban Family Talk. One of those ways is through our very own app. Whether you have an iPhone or an Android, just go to the App Store and search for Urban Family Talk. You'll have immediate access to 24-hour programming as well as the podcast for each show. You'll be able to tune in no matter where you are. Speaking of tuning in, we have our own channel on another radio app called TuneIn. Cool, right? Urban Family Talk is everywhere. Just download the app and take us wherever you go. Operation Christmas Child is about evangelism through a simple shoebox gift. And it's about discipleship through the greatest journey. The Greatest Journey is a 12-lesson discipleship course that teaches children who Jesus is, what it means to follow Him, and how to share this incredible message with others. Join Urban Family Talk Wednesday, December 5th to find out more or visit SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. Fox on Tech. Google's Smart Compose has been around a few months now. If you use Gmail, you've likely seen it at the bottom of the screen, ready with a handful of quick suggested replies like, let's set up the lunch, or sounds great, see you Friday. The context of the replies is the message itself, as well as historic data from your and others' email. But now, a bit of a preemptive strike. The search giant is removing gender pronouns, so users won't see him or her as suggested auto-responses. Google says ditching the pronouns wasn't for lack of trying, it's just that none of the artificial intelligence fixes worked well. The company has already faced issues with algorithms auto-completing searches. Back in 2016, they ran into some trouble when some searches suggested anti-Semitic queries, so it could have simply been a matter of time before a suggested autocomplete would misidentify the recipient's gender that would have created an uproar. As of now, that email autocomplete feature is available on Gmail, both on the web and in the app. With Fox on Tech, I'm Brett Larson, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I'm only smiling because uh, I was deployed as a United States Marine on the southern border of the United States. I worked for an unmanned aerial vehicle uh, squadron in the Marine Corps, and we were uh, charged with, among other things, coming up with new doctrine to figure out how to secure our southern border. So this is not unprecedented to use the military, especially United States Marines in ways that the president would direct. A nation that cannot secure its borders, it's often been said, is not indeed a nation. Uh, But I would hope that uh, we in Congress would do our job. You know, this is a manifestation of a much bigger problem, which is our failure in a bipartisan way to reform our legal immigration system. I'm a strong supporter of doing that. Yeah, but I, I'm kind of feeling as if the reform, when people say reforming our immigration system, what they really mean is tearing down all barriers to immigration and just letting anybody in who wants to come in. Most of the people who feel this way, um, you know, they, they live in neighborhoods that would not be impacted by this because they're locked out. Lower income people are locked out of their neighborhoods. And, you know, a lot of people live in, in neighborhoods like that. A lot of Americans live in, and I don't mean they're controlled or gated. I mean, there's a certain number of dwellings in the space. It's fully developed. There's no room to build anything new there. And therefore, property values are very, very high. 
So they live in these areas. And once they've gotten in and gotten their little piece of nirvana, they can't imagine why you in your town, in a rural area or in your sub suburban area where there actually is, you know, a, a viable home market for rentals and purchases and there are apartments and et cetera. They can't imagine why you wouldn't want to have your space filled up with refugees from some other country. And I know that there's room in our country for us to take people in who are being persecuted from abroad. But the definition of refugee means the only people who can be legitimate refugees are those fleeing war and violence who live in Mexico or Canada. And neither of those countries are experiencing war and violence. So it's the country next to you that you go to because you're expected to just stay there and then go back. You're not expected to go to that country and start over again and never return to your home country. Otherwise, then you're not a refugee. You're an immigrant, which means get at the back of the line. Yes, it takes 10 to 20 years to get in. Sorry about that. Next. That's what it means. So, you know, that that. It appears to be what it what the problem it, it's kind of like people are discussing this from a perspective that doesn't acknowledge the truth of what a refugee is, what an immigrant is, why we have such a long waiting list, et cetera, et cetera. So knowing that um, we so we have some roots in Anchorage, Alaska, we have some family that lives there. And there, apparently there was a large earthquake and aftershocks which struck south-central Alaska, and damage has been reported around the region. In the photograph, they show a piece of road that has completely collapsed and earth that has fallen away from nearby, and like a car is trapped kind of down on the, the collapsed road. Um, really fascinating. Of course, anything having to do with Alaska, people act like Sarah Palin's the only one who lives there. And I, we actually have, so my husband has a cousin who lives just over the main drag from the Palin's. So when we went to her house a couple of years ago when we were in Alaska, we drove up and we, so we were at her house for hours and then we went out and as we were pulling out, she said, look over that way. And I'm like, what? She's like, just up that hill. That's where the Palins live. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. She's like, nope, that's where they live. The, the Palin family lives there. And so she's not big into politics or anything. It's, it's nothing like that, but she knows that they live there. And so my husband and I were joking around. My husband was like, you're going to go up there, aren't you? <laughs> And I was like, no, of course not, because I respect people's privacy. That would be so upsetting to me to have someone show up, you know, just like some stranger and say, I'm, you know, I know you live here. That That's horrifying. So I wouldn't do that to her. But it's an interesting little aside because I couldn't believe that my husband's cousin literally lives that close to her. So you've got this large earthquake with a preliminary magnitude of seven striking Alaska near Anchorage early Friday morning, damaging roads and buildings, knocking out power. And sending people fleeing from buildings in hope, uh, hoping to be safe beneath door jams. The epicenter was just north of Joint Base Almendorf-Richardson, according to the Alaska Earthquake Center. It violently shook the most populous region of the state at about 8.30 a.m., just as people were settling in to work and school. So no immediate reports of major injuries, um, but there's been some serious structural damage. And then there were several aftershocks. Uh, around 10:26 a.m., a couple of hours after the initial, uh, you know, earthquake, there were a series of aftershocks, and at least three of the aftershocks were five on the Richter scale. Wow! So there, then there was a tsunami warning for South Central Alaska, including Kenai, Kodiak, and the shores of Cook Inlet. Uh, 
but that was canceled later on after they issued it. There were several reports of serious damage. Glen Highway was closed north of Eagle River, and Minnesota Boulevard collapsed. Wow. Vine Road near Wasilla also suffered major damage. Now, Wasilla is where the Palins live. She said her family is fine, but her home is not. So we're assuming that they experienced some uh, some really negative uh, impacts there. So, yeah, it's uh, interesting because uh, of the connections, obviously. And, and of course, we, we hope and pray that there will be fine um, and that, that there won't be anarchy, as people are saying. Um, there, the tsunami warning was canceled, by the way. So... Turning to this big, you know, we have this big, huge deal down in um, in South America right now, which is that we had the G20 meeting together, and apparently it was full of tension, and people have been quarreling, and people have been upset, which is interesting. Um, but we also have the French President Macron at the G20 actually took the leader of Saudi Arabia to task. He was kind of yelling at him and said, you never listen to me. Like he's his girlfriend. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, A clearly irked French President Emmanuel Macron was heard telling Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, you never listen to me. This was caught on video. The comments were made during a private conversation between the two leaders about the murder of Saudi activist Jamal Khashoggi. Khashoggi. Gosh, sorry, I, I messed that up. So you never listen to me, he said in English. So Ben Salman says, no, I will listen, of course. Also in English, before launching into a fit of laughter. (laughs) Macron was undeterred and continued on. He said, I'm a man of my word. (laughs) So he's there yelling like a little girl. The official told Reuters that the clip demonstrated a sort of contrast between MBS's face, sporting an embarrassed smile, and the French president's face, which was rather stern, and was keen to convey these messages in a very firm manner. U.S. intelligence officials have reportedly concluded that Mohammed bin Salman must have at least known about the plot to kill Khashoggi, who had written some columns for the Washington Post. So he was not an American journalist. He wasn't an American citizen. He wasn't a columnist for the Washington Times, or Washington Post, sorry. He was just a dude who wrote some columns, and he's closely aligned with the Muslim Brotherhood, which the royalty in Saudi Arabia wants to distance themselves from. They don't want those terrorists operating within their country. So Secretary of State uh, Mike Pompeo told reporters on Wednesday that the murder was heinous, but that there was no piece of intelligence linking MBS, which is his nickname, Mohammed bin Salman, to the murder. So they also have video on this article, which is over at foxnews.com, of MBS doing the bro handshake where you pull your hand way out and first you slap hands and then you pull in and it's not a full hug, but it's like, you know, the hands are close Um, with Vladimir Putin. (laughs) So, you know, they're mad about that. Ben Salman's playful nature with Macron appeared to later rub off on Russian president Vladimir Putin, who was captured in another clip grinning ear to ear while giving the Saudi leader a hearty high five. (laughs) Images of the pair sitting next to each other at the summit in Argentina showed them clearly in agreement and laughter about something. So I wonder, is 
Mohammed bin Salman, an agent of the Russian state and under the control of Vladimir Putin, like Trump is? Are they both mind-controlled robots acting as treasonous felons within the governments of their respective countries, just plotting and seeking to destroy their countries, especially their political enemies, all at the behest of Vladimir Putin? Or... Am I mocking them on a Friday afternoon because those assertions are so crazy? Yeah, it's number two. So I think it's funny because Mohammed bin Salman is he's kind of on the young side. And of course, obviously, he's he's a royal over there in Saudi Arabia. And so he has the best of both worlds because he gets to wear the red and white towel thingy and he gets to be royal and he gets to have all that money. But he gets to travel around and have the best of access to luxurious things, not only in his own country, but abroad in the Western world. And so he has to see someone like Emmanuel Macron, who is like, you know, he's like a beta male or a metro man, you know, not he's not hardy and. He doesn't seem like if he got mad at you, you'd be scared. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't put the fear into you. He can't, he can't give you a look and make you really concerned for your safety or even the relationship. Like he does not inspire other people to fear him. And Mohammed bin Salman seems like he's a bit on the young side, but that he could be pretty, like he could be pretty stern and he could be pretty inspiring in the whole, you know, like you don't want to cross me thing. And then you've got Donald Trump, the ultimate man's man who clearly when he wants to put an impression on you, he, he doesn't hold back and you are left with an impression. And so it's kind of interesting to hear, um, to hear Macron kind of saying, you don't listen to me knowing that we, we all know, you know, even, even people out there who are feminists who want to deny the, the male mystique and, that there is a man's man out there, that that is a thing, that there are men's men, and that women recognize that. Women recognize male power. We respect it. We enjoy it, um, except feminists. But but they're, they're rarely with men anyway, so it doesn't matter. And now, of course, Emmanuel Macron is attractive to some types of women. Clearly, his wife likes him, but he's not a man's man. And so all the men's men at the G20, clearly it's it's kind of like a brotherhood of leaders where you have all these people there who they're powerful and they lead nations and there are different types of leaders in the space. Obviously, there are women there, women who like Angela Merkel and uh, and Theresa May from Great Britain. The, there are women there and they have their own kind of sisterhood, if you will. I'm, I'm sure they have some things that they commiserate about, even in their state of disagreement, especially between Great Britain and Germany right now with Brexit. But. It's interesting that this would be happening now because they want some kind of repercussions for the Khashoggi thing. And they're not going to get it. They're not going to, I should say, they're not going to get what they want. And instead of them just, you know, you, you win some, you lose some, you move on. They just, they're going to whine about it and they're going to get all stompy foot about it. And that's what we see with Emmanuel Macron. And it, it, it will go nowhere. Not only is Donald Trump moving on from the whole story, but there are bigger fish to fry with our ally in the Middle East, which, you know, we have obviously Israel, but we are also allies with Saudi Arabia. We sell them a lot of weapons. Uh, we have military bases in their country and they've already met many times. Well, a few times they've, they've met more than once uh, our president and the leader of their country. 
this is an ongoing relationship that's not going to be allowed to disintegrate because of Khashoggi's assassination. And whatever you feel about it, again, the outsized level of concern is that this is a good issue for the media to use to distract away from positive moves that the president has made in the economy and more pressing issues that we have, such as the problem at our southern border, such as, you know, the budget, such as the fact that even though the Democrats are going to take control of the House of Representatives, they are not going to be able to pass legislation and get it signed into law. And so it's a victory, certainly, but it is also a victory for the Republicans because we finally get to say goodbye to Jeff Flake and others who were not good for not just this president's agenda, but for people who believe in the Republican Party platform. And so, you know, the, there's I, I don't I don't have a lot of regret about the way obviously I wanted the Republicans to keep the House. I wanted them to make gains. I wanted to see the Republicans controlled the Senate so that they could have defunded Planned Parenthood and fu fully funded the wall, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't. I see the silver lining, I should say. It's not that I don't see. I see definitely the silver lining in having so many of the people who were clearly not cut out to represent Republicans no longer being there. And them going back into the private sector is a good enough, uh, you know, you take a little consolation prize for what we've experienced. And that's also a great way to go into the weekend because y'all know I like going into the weekend strong uh, with with rest and relaxation on my mind looking forward to sunday getting in the pew i recommend it to you as well so god bless you citizens straight from the heartland to you stacy on the right i'll be back with you on monday lord willing have a great weekend <laughs>